You're listening to The Above the Mug Show, a podcast that highlights people whose passions drive their life. My name is Lucas Spinoza, and I own a coffee shop. Every day I meet dozens of interesting people, and today I sit down with one of them to inspire you to live your life passion forward. What is going on, everybody? It's your friend, Lucas Spinoza, coming at you, I almost said live, it's not live, from my office inside of the Black Sheep Lounge, and you are listening to Above the Mug, a podcast that highlights people who use their passions to drive their life forward. Today, I'm joined by a very special person. Uh, She is many things, but first and foremost, she's an empowerment coach, she's a consultant, and also a mother of one and a half. That's right. Because you were pregnant. Yes. Which is amazing. So we have first, every time we have this podcast, this is the first time I'm interviewing a pregnant person, which is great. It's like 1.7 right now. So it's almost like two for the price of one on your podcast. Exactly. (laughs) And uh, the the one thing is, for anyone who's watching this, you'll see it. But if you're not watching and you're listening, I had to move my desk to make room for the belly (laughs) because it's getting close. (laughs) And with all the amazing sweet treats that you have inside of your shop here, you're going to have to continue to move it back as I continue to come in and eat more. <laughs> exactly. But I didn't say we're joined today by Michelle Graholsky. Thank you for coming. Oh, thanks for having me. So I have had the pleasure of sitting down with you and sometimes standing up and ranting at you for minutes and sometimes an hour on end. Um, but the, the one thing that I've never really asked you about is what exactly is empowerment coaching? Mm. Yeah, so I own a boutique coaching and consulting firm called Empowered. And what I focus on is making businesses more equitable, fair, inclusive, and diverse, and also working with women on how they can see uh, can succeed within today's corporations without having to check out, opt out, or change who they are. So it's really about removing the barriers that prevent people from thriving, from being authentic, from essentially success in today's world of work. Um, and I do that through through partnering with organizations, doing training, looking at their organizational systems and how they do business, how they make decisions, but also working with individuals, particularly women, um, so that they can navigate those barriers without feeling like it's them, you know, it's their fault. They're doing something wrong because it's not. Absolutely. I I think that's, uh, you said that so brilliantly and so eloquently. Um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to coaching and consulting, especially in the business world. Because uh, I know for myself, when I was serving on boards prior to you know my my work on council, a lot of the things that we would go to professional uh, professional development days, and they would bring in these coaches in parentheses for people not watching. Air quotes again. Shout out to Doctor Evil. Uh, it's it's really not um, it's not what. I believe good coaching is. Mm -hmm. So they put a bunch of pieces of paper on the wall, get a bunch of people in suits running around the room, writing their thoughts down. It's like you're paying somebody 2,500 bucks for the hour to come in and do that. Mm. I don't think that's actually coaching. What, what I've seen you do. Uh, and when I've looked at your website and some of your videos, it's a lot more intimate than that. And, um, I think there's a lot of value. Um, anyone who's familiar with Tony Robbins, I don't want to say that you're like that, but his work that isn't the motivational speaking, the actual going to businesses and, you know, trying to make it the best possible workplace for everyone involved. Mm. So I think one of the biggest threats that the coaching industry faces today is the sheer volume of people who are not trained or um, possess any sort of credential to actually coach. Uh, It's a huge privilege, but also a massive responsibility to Mm. coach an individual because you're getting to know what's inside of their head and you're helping them to make decisions that are in their own long-term best interest. So if you haven't invested in your own growth, your own development, 
in a way that can uphold um, the integrity of the profession, then you're actually doing something that puts other people at risk. So um, for me, having ongoing training. Uh, my background is in organizational psychology. I've got a grad degree in that, but I continue to upskill myself in coaching and psychology, positive psychology in particular, um, because I think it, by me um, investing in myself, I can then share those insights and be a better coach and advocate for other people too. So you're absolutely right. There's no shortage of interesting coaches out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I think that's really cool um, because even for myself, when I first heard about that's that's what you did from your sister-in-law, I was like, "What? What is that? Like, I you don't under people just don't understand the field and they don't see the value in it." I think now that I've come, you know, a couple years into my business and working in in the professional world, there we need it. Like, we need someone who is kind of guiding us because anybody who does anything for long enough, you get kind of stuck in your ways and you don't even realize that you're stuck until someone says, Hey, you're stuck. So I think it's, it's good, uh, especially when you've got, um, such a diverse country like Canada, you've got all sorts of ethnicities and cultural backgrounds, different ages, different genders. And so how those people interact may sometimes not be the most conducive for business uh, and not saying that it can't be, but that's where people like you come in. So that's very cool. Oh, thanks. Where, where did you find your passion in this? Like, how did you find out this is something you wanted to do? Mm, so I have the classic story of a kid feeling like a misfit. Um, was bullied from a very early age, mm -hmm. had Kramer hair, I think from the age of three onwards, you know, Don King at the time was the cultural reference that people use for me. Or do you remember the, um, bacon, cheddar, curly fries, bacon, cheddar, curly fries. Yeah. I heard that relentlessly on school buses through pretty much my entire adolescence. And it just left me with this lingering feeling that I didn't belong. I didn't look like the other kids. I didn't really act like the other kids. I was very, uh, very much a tomboy, really rough around the edges. And I came from a very broken home. Um, so I had this sense of being an outsider from, I can remember four onwards when I was in JK. And that evolved into me becoming quite a bully myself when I was a lot older. So in, um, towards the end of elementary school, I felt like it was a, a great defense to be able to pick on other people's vulnerabilities and mm -hmm. the things that made them different, whether it was their name or the color of their skin or their height or their interest, um, picking up on things that made people different and weaponizing it against mm -hmm. them. And that left me with a significant degree of shame as I evolved as a person. Um, I wasn't proud that as someone who knew how badly it felt to be ostracized, to feel like an outsider, that I became somebody who made other people feel like outsiders. So I took that and in university I studied psychology and my primary area of expertise and research was around why people discriminate, why they stereotype, why are we afraid of difference? What is it about ourselves as people that makes us want to do that? Because it is a deeply personal thing. It's a fear reaction. And that tells us so much more about ourselves and our fears and our weaknesses than it ever tells us about anybody else. Mm -hmm. So I went into that, um, that field, learned a lot and decided that in grad school, I was going to turn that into a bit more of a positive angle and started to look at 
well, how does difference even make us better in the first place? So as you said, Canada is a multicultural uh, country. How does having a a range of racial groups, of ethnicities, of cultures, of religions, of abilities, personalities, ages, how does that make us better in terms of innovation, performance, in terms of engagement, um, productivity? And so that's what I looked at in in grad school and uh, has been my niche area ever since. So I um I definitely come at this with a sincere understanding of how it feels to not feel like you belong. Mm-hmm. I myself have worked in organizations for 10 years, uh, ranging from high tech, uh, land property construction, financial services, um, and I do a lot of consulting with automotive and educational institutions. And um, I have both felt in organizations and have worked very closely with people in organizations who continue to feel that they cannot be themselves. They just can't, that they will not get ahead if they are authentic and that they have to put on a mask and pretend to be somebody else in order to advance. So that is the nut that I want to crack um, because I believe sincerely that when people hide who they are and when people become somebody else, they sacrifice something that's so valuable to their organizations that would make them better. And the personal cost is significant as well. No one should have to do that. Great. Know much about? But as I said earlier, it's definitely something that's really needed in this world, especially in our part of the world, being so diverse and having so many different mindsets Uh, and also just generationally. I mean, that's probably one of the bigger things you deal with. I'm just assuming because I know what it's like from myself to my brother's generation. Like I'm the very end of the millennials. He's the beginning of Gen Z. So it's, you know, right there, but it's very different. I find, you know, the millennial generation is that stereotypical Again, air quotes, entitled. I don't think that's the right word because it has a negative connotation to it. But I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to have what you want to have. I think every generation before the millennial generation was so altruistic because they had to be, right? They were forced to give to their family. That was the societal pressure at the time was, hey, you have to have a family, big house, white picket fence, and then your job is to set up your family for their family. And I think the millennials were the first ones to say, hey, what about me? (laughs) You know, like I get you want me to have a family, but I really want to be an author or I really want to be a pilot. And sometimes you have to put family on hold for a bit. I don't mean take a break from your family. I mean, before you get started, you know, start working on what you're working on. Or at least if you're lucky, you find a partner that gets you, you know, and, and understands the ambition. And hopefully they share that same thing. I'm lucky to have that with Katie, where, you know, she's she just graduated from nursing school and yesterday found out that she passed her Ontario nursing exam, which is amazing. So now she can practice in Ontario, uh, which is really exciting. So she's into healthcare, helping saving people's lives, but also helping them die peacefully in the palliative world. Um, and then for myself, I'm more on the community building side of things. And so you don't realize it, but those two things go hand in hand, you know? So we're, it complements each other because I'm busy, she's busy, but not in the annoying way where people say, I'm busy, I can't. No, we just have lots of things going on, but we always make time for the things that matter. Do you find that um, with your life that your ambitions and your drive get in the way of family? I mean, you're here with a kid inside you, so I, I don't think it's really getting in the way, but do you find that there's new challenges that you have a family or does it make it easier in some ways? Oh, it's it, that, you know, that quote of, um, if you want to get something done, give it to a busy person. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's true for you. And I definitely feel that that's been true in my own world too. There's something about having a family and it doesn't have to be a conventional family. I mean, it could be, you know, having animals or just responsibilities in general. 
general adulting um, that really does make you prioritize and uh, focus your time in ways that serve you and serve your long-term interests. So I have found that. And, um, and for me, what's been really illuminating is as I've entered into to parenthood, I started delving into the research around people's experiences, having kids and how that can impact their career trajectories. And what I learned is that while most organizations believe that, for example, women opt out for childcare reasons, mm-hmm. uh, really, in fact, only one out of 10 women do leave the workforce for that reason. And it's not that different for men. Um, so particularly with millennial men, they expect you expect to have the same degree of flexibility. You want the same degree of balance. You want to be involved with your families to the same extent as women do. Mm -hmm. And so organizations continuing to say that women just don't, they don't have the same ambition. They're just primarily motivated to take care of families. They can't balance the two. It's too much. It's kind of bullshit. Sorry for the, you know, sorry for the French there, but, um, or for the swear word, but it's absolutely not borne out in the research. In fact, 65% of women who are millennials that leave the workplace leave because they feel excluded. They don't feel like they can get ahead and be who they are. They feel like they've got to, and this is not just women. This is people with disabilities, racialized minorities, religious minorities. There are a number of people who feel that they have to shape shift into something else in order to be perceived as successful. And it makes sense because organizations were built at a time um, when the workforce did not look like you mm-hmm. and the workforce did not look like me. Yeah, absolutely. So those ideologies around what it looks like to be successful, what talent looks like, what a great leader looks like, have been informed by a, um, a generation, an ideology that is no longer reflective of the society at large. And so we need to change the way that organizations define talent um, and how they think about people in order to ensure that we're no longer just continuing to promote people who remind us of our forefathers of the past. Absolutely. And you mentioned um, your education in organizational psychology. Mm -hmm. And you also said that, you know, if you want something done, give it to a busy person, right? Those two things, I think, are very seldom looked at. They don't get a, a spotlight as often. And the reason I bring that up is, When people tell me, they're like, Lucas, how could you do all this? You must have too much on your plate. It's it's not true. And the reason is because I manage my time properly. I think most people that say they don't have enough time just have poor time management Mm -hmm. because they spend an hour and a half talking with their partner about what they're going to have to eat. And they spend, you know, an hour walking in the grocery store saying, oh, maybe I'll have this tonight. Instead of spending 30 minutes, plan out your week regiment what you're going to be eating on which day, where you're going to be going, who you're meeting, who you're sitting down with. I think it's, it seems boring because there's no room for spontaneity, but there is. Mm. I, I, the more you organize, the more time for spontaneity you have. Mm-hmm. And so I'm able to still go out and watch concerts and go out for dinner and go bowling and whatever I want to do because of the fact that I know I have three hours on this day, I need to get this, this, and this done. And I don't know, maybe you can comment on, is that something you you worked on when it came to organizational psychology or or am I off field with this? I wish it was. I would have been a much more productive and organized student. No, I think it's something that I came by a little bit later on in life. And and certainly I find with with the individuals that I coach that a lot of it is around figuring out how they can achieve their goals within the time constraints that they have. And many are busy professionals who are commuting and who've got volunteer aspirations and all kinds of things. So yeah, it's taking a step back and looking at essentially the way that you think, you know, Mm -hmm. and how you're doing things. And, and for me, I I believe that, um, you know, complaints are just uncommunicated requests. 
<laughs> right? That's brilliant. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So those are typically things that um, you need to have conversations about with yourself, with your loved ones, whoever, with your boss. Um, but if you're finding yourself complaining about something, well, that's an opportunity to dig deeper and to get under, you know, what's really at, at stake here or what's, uh, what's causing the issue. But no, from an organizational standpoint, it was more organization as in um, corporations and not so much organization in terms of uh, structuring and planning. Well, that's good to know. I'm, I'm still happy I brought it up because I do think it is something that people need to to work on is mm-hmm. that. And I, I constantly am working on it. I Every day I find I'm buying a new whiteboard for a different area of my house <laughs> and my office because I, I need a chart for every specific thing that I'm doing. So literally yesterday, I just created one for this podcast saying not only when I'm having certain guests on, but when it's going to be released Mm. because I started running into the thing where, you know, now we've got two guests recording in one week, but that doesn't mean two are being released in the same week. It's every week, right? Mm -hmm. So I need one for that. And then one for the black sheep and one for council. And it seems like a lot, but then I have my master calendar that's in my phone. So I always know where I'm at. I think another thing too, is deciding what type of life you want, Mm -hmm. you know, and Mm -hmm. a lot of it comes around money because people feel very constricted around what they can do based off of how much money they have available to them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I listened to actually, um, a great podcast called the ground up. It's Matt Diavella is the host. And he was talking to, I think it was the CEO of Patreon at the time. And they were talking about how um, a, a lot of people want a car. So they spend all their money on a car. Some people like vacations. They spend all their money on vacations. And then they feel bad because they don't have money for dinner. Well, it's, you have to figure out what it is exactly you really want mm. to spend money on, mm-hmm. right? And so for me, I'm a big convenience guy. I don't like doing medial tasks because I feel like there's other things I could be doing like this, right? Mm -hmm. Sitting down, having conversations. I'm at the point now where I have a very small bachelor pad, my girlfriend and I, so it doesn't, uh, we we don't need a housekeeper or anything like that, but I'm at the point where I definitely need a secretary. You know, I spend probably an hour and a half a day on emails. So to, to eliminate that, you know, maybe I would spend money on the convenience, right? Mm-hmm. And even now, like I order my food with our food supplier for the cafe. So I don't even go grocery shopping anymore. I just order a little extra and I take it for myself. So I don't even have to go grocery shopping because I don't like spending, time is money for me. I'm one of those mm-hmm. people, you know, mm-hmm. like I don't want to be spending money on or, uh, time or money on things that could be done quickly and actually quite affordably from to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't know if, if you've got a thing, but uh, mine's definitely that. Yeah, no, what I love about what you're saying is essentially the underlying principle of knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. Knowing, Absolutely, yeah. Right, knowing what's important to you, what are your values, how can you make the most of your time, and then curating your life so that you're satisfying those goals. I think it's so important, especially for those of us who have felt as though society or our parents or culture has dictated to us for so long who we should be. You you know, you should org- enter into an organization, you should go into uh, undergraduate school, yeah. right, in business, you should get your BBA, and and then after that, you should get your MBA. And then after that, you should go into a professional services firm where you're st- you'll start off as an analyst. And then within three years, you're going to advance and then you're going to advance and you're going to advance. And a lot of us believe that that is success. Yeah. yeah. And, and I can tell you from the countless individuals that I work with inside of organizations, they got there and they're like, uh, I never wanted this in the first place. Whose dream was I pursuing? So it's so important, regardless of how old you are, where you sit in in life, just to pause and ask yourself what's really important to you. Mm-hmm. And often it's rooted in your values. You know, Absolutely. time is really important to you. 
there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. Time enables you to do something, you know, whether it's to create or to connect meaningfully, you know, or to learn and grow. Um, what is it about that that is so gratifying and fulfilling for you? And then what are the ways in which you can satisfy that? Maybe it's not a career change. Not everyone can do that, right? For economic reasons, for whatever other reasons. Um, but there might be other ways that you can you can bring more of that to fruition in your world. And I think that's so critical. Let's take ourselves off of the hamster wheel of doing what everyone says we should, get to know ourselves and make some choices, even though they might be hard. What do you do um, in instances when you're working with corporations and maybe you've got you know, a CEO or, you know, a CAO or CFO, mm-hmm. one of the many, you know, acronyms. What do you do for people like that who also have a spouse who's busy and, you know, overwhelmed? Do you find that sometimes relationships kind of play into the coaching that you do? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Because I know for, for you, I mean, your husband comes from a family of real estate moguls and he's busy and he's become quite the, uh, you know, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The trailblazer, that's the thing. The trailblazer himself, right? And but he still has time for you and for his family. And but you guys are both busy and both pursuing different dreams, but doing that in tandem. Mm, so you mm-hmm. you must deal with that obviously in your own life, but also at the uh, at the coaching level. Yeah, I, I experience it all the time. Um, there was there was a point in my career where all of the senior individuals that I worked with were either all men. And their wives were the ones who held down the fort entirely at home. And so they were not present, you know, with their kids as much as they would have liked. And I dealt with a number of uh, literally multimillionaires who felt um, that they had made some missteps because their kids were now teenagers, despised them, didn't know yeah, them. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. And, and they wish that they could go back and make some changes in terms of being much more present and intentional with their families. Um, and on the flip side, I've worked with a lot of women executives whose solution was to have nannies and not, again, not be present with their families. And that for me was a very... Um, concerning theme that I picked up on pretty early in my career in my 20s. And I I remember having this internal dialogue of, okay, can I do it? Can I be married? Can I have kids? I didn't know if I wanted to have kids at the time, um, but it just felt like it was this impossible dream, you know, Mm -hmm. to to have it all. And I have to tell you, we have a a two-year-old, almost two years old, and uh, this baby's coming in a couple months. And I still feel like, ooh, can I do it? (laughs) All the time. It scares me to death. But I think the thing is, it's just open communication and asking for help. Particularly, um, it's challenging for a lot of us to express when we need support. Uh, We perceive that it's a weakness and that vulnerability indicates that we just, we don't have it under control. Mm -hmm. But the reality is nobody has it under control. Like we're all we're all stretched. We all need to lean on people. Um, we're such an individualistic society here in Canada that we forget that, um, we need community. We need neighbors. We need family. We need friends. We need people who we can trust to lean on to help pick up the pieces. And in fact, that vulnerability is such a sign of trust and love and not of weakness at all. So I'm getting much better at asking for help. I'm very lucky. I have an amazing mother-in-law who right now is watching our son, even though he is not in a great (laughs) mood today. (laughs) He is throwing his toys everywhere. Um, But, you know, having that, yeah, yeah, busy boy. Um, But having that kind of support is critical. And so who are the people that you can lean on? Who can you be vulnerable with? How can you let people in, regardless of where you're at in your life, um, to support you? You don't have to choose not to have kids or not to get married or whatever have you. It's, um, making sure that you are having the conversations, asking for the support. And like you said, knowing what your non-negotiables are, where are you going to say no? 
you know, what's more important to you. That's perfect. I was literally going to ask you if, if you could leave something with people that you would normally do in your professional world, that kind of answered that question. I think that's a a brilliant thing is communication, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Knowing yourself, Mm -hmm. reflecting on the things that are important to you, communicating that with the people that are important to you in your life. And then it should work. And if it doesn't, you know, they they may not be the right people in your support group, right? So I I think that's one thing where uh, actually Kevin O'Leary said it, which was kind of funny. He was speaking at a university and uh, this guy had started this crazy financial platform where he was raising billions of dollars from his dorm room and he hadn't even graduated. He was in engineering school and just wanted his engineer's ring after the fourth year, which is why he didn't drop out. But his girlfriend at the time said, it's me or the business. And not saying that you should ever put your business before your family, but if your family is telling you you shouldn't and it's not actually what's best for you, maybe that isn't the right match. And so a lot of people don't do that. So I'm very lucky. I know you're very lucky as well to have that support system. Um, So yeah, thank you very much for joining. You're listening to Above the Mug. Today I'm joined by the amazing, talented coach, mentor, consultant, and mother, Michelle Graholsky. And I am Lucas Spinoza, the host. I will see you next week.